You're listening to the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Harden. Today's topic is about sex therapy, the Enneagram, and purity culture. We're covering a lot of ground today, which is why I have a leading Christian expert on with me, Dr. Camden Morganti. She is phenomenal, and she's a professor of sex therapy and all things sexuality and ethics, and she is here to remind us not only how to hang on to our healthy sexuality in marriage, but also how to heal from the wounds we received even before marriage around sexuality and all things relating to intimacy. And Dr. Camden and I, I grew up in a little bit different generations. I'm a little bit older. We both grew up in the generation of being part of the church where there wasn't much room for movement as far as if you had heard about sex and you were told it's bad and wait till marriage to have it, or maybe even it's bad and you had, like me, had a sexual history and you're trying to learn to negotiate that when you get married. So we're coming from different places and different Enneagram types. She's a six and I'm a seven. But what I'm most excited for you to hear is obviously something healing for you. That's what I'm hoping you especially get. But I also want you to be able to take the conversation even farther. So Dr. Camden's going to be sharing a special quiz you can take to see just how purity culture really has affected you in terms of how you came to understanding a healthy sexual dynamic, or maybe how you can even still grow as you're thinking this all through or feeling it through or experiencing it in your body. I always say thinking, I'm thinking you're all sevens, but you're not. So before we get there, I'm going to take a few of the questions I got from Instagram briefly because there were some that were just a little too complex to answer there. And I'm going to also give you some brief tips for how to have a better sex life and even how to get in the mood for sex. So just so you know, as a couple, sleep is super important. And I really don't want you to forget also that alcohol can make you feel more relaxed and able to receive as a female. But as a male, make sure you don't go past one glass of wine or so because it can also create the erectile dysfunction temporarily and just make you less able to perform. So make sure you think of that. Make sure you think of your sleep level. Make sure that you guys also can add in some fun aphrodisiacs from your food. So although there's limited research, I want to tell you that I do realize that we all know eating whole foods is better. And this goes for all parts of life and your body and immunity, but certainly sex is part of that body work. So think of that as we've been doing kitchen chemistry for my daughter's chemistry class, I'm learning that we really do have such a special relationship to foods and even more than I realized, just in the sense of how much it affects us if we're eating things that are so filled with preservatives. So it doesn't mean that we can't do that, but just to keep in your mind that as you're thinking about, I need to work out for my sex drive and I need to make sure that I'm sleeping, think about what you're ingesting also very much. And recommendations from Healthline are basil and garlic, which I want to caution you for the garlic if you're with a one, because I know if I was to have like a clove of garlic, Wes would just die and not of happiness. Um, <laughs> so be careful on that one. But fruits and vegetables, some people take ginkgo biloba, a natural supplement for even just the depressive feelings. Uh, like I said, be careful about the alcohol and also understand that people do find chocolate to be a fun aphrodisiac as well, just because of the properties of sometimes waking you up a little bit. So if you know you're a sleepyhead and you want to start a movie, I hear this from couples a lot that they're getting ready to start a movie and they're thinking, I won't be able to have sex if we do this. I won't be able to be intimate, but I really want to watch the movie. Sometimes you 
you can put a little bit of chocolate near your bed and before you brush your teeth, or if you're with a spouse who really likes you to brush your teeth first, just brush your teeth right after you eat the chocolate and then you guys can get intimate and it'll probably wake you up. Now, if you eat an entire bar of dark chocolate, plan to stay awake for a little longer because there's some more caffeine in there. But otherwise, I'm quite sure that milk chocolate, just a little square or two or whatever kind you like, will just be a little short sugar spike, almost like the athletes you picture when I like to take those sugar gum chewies until I learned that I wasn't really a serious enough runner to do that and it didn't really qualify me to eat a bunch of sugar before a run. Yeah, that's not something I do. But I I do think that your chocolate might be a great thing. And I also want to address now, like I said, just a couple of the questions before we have Dr. Camden on. Seems like a lot of you are saying that physical touch is really special for you, but sometimes when your spouse wants to take that to a sexual level, it's a turnoff because you're thinking, I just wanted to relax and not be physical all the way. I just want to have some fun. And some of your spouses are so filled with hormones in that moment that it feels so hard for them to not be able to enjoy you sexually. So I do want to make sure that if it's too extreme on that side, that you don't ask for a massage, but just say in advance before your spouse ever lays hands on you, I really am not in the mood for a sexual experience, but I would love a back rub. Are you able to do that? And if they do, try to honor them in a different way. And even if possible to keep their mind on something about them where they're giving you loving touch, but you're saying, tell me about something with work or your mother. And that's probably likely to help a little bit in that way of keeping them hands off a little more in the sexual way. So you can add to that with creative conversations that will keep things different. Or you can say, you know what, when we get in our bedroom by ourselves, it's more difficult. But when we're all watching a movie as a family, if I want some non-sexual touch, then I'm going to ask while we're watching the movie with the kids. So just make sure that you think about this in terms of when would your spouse most likely be receptive to giving you the non-sexual touch. And even you could think of this outside in the park or at the restaurant where you sit next to each other and cuddle in the booth. And I know a lot of people aren't expecting me to say that. I like to think outside of the box because I know the obvious answer here. And that is, of course, I've said this before on the show and I'll say it again. And I say it later with Dr. Camden too. Don't ever accept anything of your spouse saying, I have to touch you. I can't live without you. I'm going to die if I don't have you. And these are things that I'm literally rolling my eyes about that teen girls hear and that people say, and you just have to say to your spouse, if you're not in the mood, I'm not doing this with you. And they have to respect it. So it's on the both of you guys to do that and make sure you see a specialist if they're not respecting you in the bedroom. But that's going to be something we talk about quite a bit today. So I wanted to give you some outside of the box tips as well. Somebody else mentioned masturbating and how they were pretty sure it was a sin. And I wanted to make make sure you knew that it's really important that you understand that your convictions are very personal. And I don't think that it's my place to tell you what your convictions should be. You've probably heard me talk on my last podcast about this whole topic. If you haven't, I really want you to make sure that you go back and listen to it because you're missing certain things that I'm not going to really repeat. But this one's worth repeating. And this is that you really need to make sure that when it comes to sex and masturbation, that you guys decide together how you're going to do this or not do this. Because sometimes people say, frankly, we like to do this for each other. And that's fine. I've heard other people say, it's a sin or it's a sin to do that unless they're thinking of me or it's a sin to do that altogether or it's a sin if you do this more than once a month. There are so many different views on this and they're complex and they're rooted deeply and I do want you to have a respect for differing views because people have such 
deep morals that go down to the baby years. And yes, we're talking about finding the best of this, but let's not pretend that after thousands of years of thinking that we're new and fresh on this and that the generations before us have nothing to say. Let's try to build on that and to learn. Why do I think the way I do? What new information do I have in this culture of today? How can I best live knowing this and feel God's grace upon me? And I'm reminded of those scriptures that where some people feel like eating meat and others don't, you really try to not eat meat when that person is saying, gosh, I feel like if you're eating meat that isn't blessed, that you're sinning. And and somebody else may say in the church, well, as long as God blesses it, it's okay. It's kind of like that. Like if one of you feels it's okay and the other doesn't, you guys can decide together how that's going to look. But try to allow each person to have and to keep their view on things and make sure it doesn't interfere fear or involve third parties in any way, as of course we've mentioned before. And by any way, I think the ideal for me would be to say at least try to make sure that if you are engaging in masturbation together or however you do this, that you're thinking about each other, that you're thinking about your love for each other. And I know there are people with developmental disabilities who we're not going to control how they're doing this. There's others of you who say, I will never do this. This is a sin. I just want to let you know if this is something you're doing already and you're trying to stop Yes, go ahead and follow your convictions. But if this is something you're doing and you're thinking about other people, I really want you to try to work back toward this is a celebration of your love with your spouse. And if you want the best sex life, then putting images of other people in your body into your mind, into your heart, really isn't going to make the two of you closer. And even if you think it did temporarily and you're like, oh, we just had this amazing experience and it was wild and it was wicked, you're probably not aware of your spouse carrying feelings into that that are not healthy or happy. And they're probably doing some distancing from you without even you even realizing it. And I don't want you guys to think that you have to be thinking about sex all the time. You'd be surprised, but some ones think, oh gosh, I should be thinking about sex, but I'm not. And then others of you have said to me, you know, I really don't think about sex much at all. Is that okay? Or I've never had an orgasm. And absolutely all of this is okay in that sense of, you know, each person is made uniquely with their own biology and their own thoughts. So you don't have to do anything. If you want to remain celibate your whole life, that's up to you. But I also want you, if you're married and your spouse is requesting a sexual experience, you need to make sure that you do address it. Look at it. See if there's trauma that you guys can uncover together. You can do some brief EMDR or trauma therapy. Now it's all on Zoom almost. So you're so lucky that there's so many ways for you to get private help just about a particular issue. You don't have to talk about everything, but you know, there's so many sex therapists out there, including Dr. Camden, who we're going to talk to later. And I'm always giving this kind of advice too. And my main goal is that you're not going to make each other feel objectified. And that when you do struggle with past relationships where you felt this way, that you can tell your spouse, you know, I just like to take two steps back because I know you want to do this thing with me, but I have a bad memory of this and I really don't feel comfortable. And maybe as we get safer, that'll be a great impetus for me to feel like I want to try more things with you sexually. But here's where I'm at today. And then I don't want you to hold it or dangle it like a carrot to say like, if you're perfect, you'll get this one day, but to give them some very tangible ways that they can grow closer to you and feel safer. That would be a great place to start on your own personal coaching journey together as you get healthier in the sexual area of your marriage. Because as we grow older, the sexual area of marriage, in contrast to our aging process and our bodies wrinkling up, 
actually gets better because you're more comfortable and oftentimes you're more experienced and there's maybe even some children who have passed through the body cavity and there's ways that you just feel a little bit more lubricated because you know that you like this one lubricant, you don't like another, or you know the time of the month when your own body's lubrication works better. So there's things that I want to make sure you know just take time. So when you hear conquest stories of your friends and their sex lives, try to remember each couple is different. And some people truly have different sized organs that need to fit into each other perfectly. And it's not always going to be easy. So you need to find things that do work and you need to respect each other. When one of you says, this isn't working for me, it doesn't feel good, but that's normal. And don't have, try not to sit in shame because like we've said, and we'll say as Dr. Camden and I talk, there's a lot of well-meaning Christian people out there who will tell you, you should sit in shame about your sexual lives and then you do. So I don't want you to do that. I want you to bring them before God, try to honor God, try to make them beautiful things, try to make beautiful moments with your spouse. And this was one of the very first parts of life in the garden as well. Some of you also asked if you haven't had the pleasure of an orgasm when you're feeling like you want to show you love your spouse, but you're feeling exhausted because they want you to be excited, you're going to have to stop them and tell them, hey, I need a break. This isn't exciting to me anymore and I can't feign it and I'm growing exhausted and weary. And of course, yes, God will get you through all things, but I really know that your spouse wants you to enjoy yourself too, to some degree. And if they don't want that, that's a good should. They should want that. So I don't think that each spouse needs to be always the same amount of interested. And we're going to talk about that later, but we do want each spouse to be honored. So make sure that you honor yourself. Your spouse is not inside of your head. They don't know what's going on. So if you're acting like like you're pleasured and you're not, when you're comfortable, I do want you to tell them and I do want you to let them know, hey, I haven't been having orgasms, but I have acted like it sometimes because I want to please you. And can we look at that differently? Can we perhaps read? And Dr. Camden's going to give you a great book reference later. And I think that's going to bless you guys so much to have a good Christian clean book reference, but somebody who's like, this is all I do, sex therapy. So that way you can get a lot of tools and help on very particular issues like vaginismus, dyspareunia, and a host of other issues that maybe you don't know the name of it, but you're experiencing it. For those who are saying that you have differing love languages in the bedroom, and some of you say, frankly, my love language is not in the bedroom at all. I want you to understand that that's okay. You don't have to have the love language in the bedroom, but if your spouse does, I really like for you to try to honor theirs because love covers a multitude of sins in the sense that for some people, it clears their brain and they'll report that it does. And some of those are body types, but not just body types. Everybody can, you know, statistically at least receive a bodily blessing from a sexual release. So I think it's okay to say, that's my love language. I love that. That's my top priority. And then the other spouse say, not for me. That's not mine at all. I love quality time or I love cuddling. And so in those cases, you guys will try to make compromises, but try to understand that you do get to make that choice. Just as you can't force somebody on a date with you, you can't force your spouse to be sexual with you. If you're still, and I'm going to take one more question on this realm. So, and then we're going to shift gears to a story in Dr. Camden. But in this realm, I do want to let those who wrote in about their 
relationships and dating and how to stay pure, but they're struggling, I think that the busier you are, the more you're going to be able to avoid this. The more you get a physical workout, the more you're going to be able to avoid this because you have a lot of energy and that's great. And you want to express yourself sexually. So make sure you do have some great body releases every single day if you need it and keep yourself busy. And when you're not busy, try to do good things that are quieter. And that way you guys don't have as much of a drive to do something that seems to go against your moral convictions. Because I think that's really personal. And most of the Christians I know, including myself, really want at least desire to stay pure before marriage. And so that's a great thing that you want that. And it's a great heritage to bring to your kids. But it can also be very wounding if you feel like, oh, I did this. I need to sleep with this person. I need to stay with this person the rest of my life, even though they're abusive. So I don't want you guys to be caught in that. But I also don't want you to feel like you're just struggling and you don't have these options. So that's why I'm giving you that option to try to stay busy, try to stay in public places so that you're not as tempted. And that was something that I think that every couple I've worked with who was dating in the youngest years really said they struggled with. And sometimes they say, gosh, that messed with me because we were intimate and then we decided not to be. And then it became like a friendship and then it got weird. But I want to tell you that sometimes even It just, there are seasons of marriage where it becomes like that. And so you just have to try to spice things up and say, what do I really like? And understand this, your body is got a rhythm and a mechanical process to it in the sense that it just like all aspects of science and even the Enneagram, there are triggers and touch points and places that feel good and places that don't. So finding those places of stimulation on each other's bodies really does change things, whether you've had sex before marriage or after. And maybe your mind was going to the place of this is more fun because it's illicit, but there's other ways that you can feel stimulated. And maybe I'm focusing on certain areas of your spouse that you like or saying, "Ooh, let's try out a new scent together, or let's try to do some guided imagery together about a place where we're imagining we are, but you don't have to take it to, like I said, this is illicit or other people. It's just not necessary. And it's not the way we were designed. So I do want to comfort you with that. And I'm not judging you if you like to do that, but I do want to let you know that that's a great solution if you're like, we're not being pure and we want to be. And we really, truly, it's more, it fits us in better ways. And I truly do believe the laws of God are there for our blessing and not to hurt us. Just like when people say, why do I have to take a Sabbath? And Jesus does a miracle on the Sabbath. And he's like, hey, this is for you. Like, I'm not doing the Sabbath because I need it. But like, this is a blessing for you. You don't have to worry about pregnancies before marriage. You don't have to worry about I'm not done with school. I don't know what I'm doing with my life yet. Now I'm bringing a new child in. And there's tons of grace and community support a lot of the time when this does happen. But it's just a way for you to stay, hey, I want to stay quote unquote pure. But even that language is hard because if you do make mistakes, which we all do, does that make you not a good Christian? And you do have to remember that Jesus says there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So that's a verse for you, Romans 8, 1, and it doesn't give license. Paul says, should I sin so that grace may abound? You don't want to be sinning left and right like, yay, I robbed stores and nobody cares at all because grace abounds and no condemnation. You're still going to have consequences of the things you do. And some people pray and say, hey, I've had a 
a soul tie and I want to break that because I've slept with a lot of people or a few people or one person and God will redeem that. So I don't want you to take that too far either where you think I'm ruined. And we're going to talk about Dr. Camden has so many of these actual issues that the church has been struggling with over the years. So make sure you keep tuning in. And I just wanted to answer those very specific questions. I got those and so many more that it makes me think we're going to need an entirely different episode, but that will get us started. And even before we get to that, I want to remind you guys, as I always love to throw in that literature piece, as I was really analyzing the Jane Austen, Charlotte Bronte debate this past week, and I have my students debating on who was a little bit better of a writer to them this coming week. I really was excited about the topic, especially because I learned something surprising to me that some of you already know who love these writers. And that is that there was such a disparity and that Charlotte Bronte didn't even like Jane Austen because Jane Austen was such a fan, a fangirl of purity culture in the sense that she wouldn't have really talked about it at all. It was completely puritanical, or we should say in her time, Victorian. And so she was really dealing with, we don't talk about it at all. Once we get married, it's a happily ever after. And one thing I wanted to share with you guys, I kept really looking at this quote and thinking about it this week was when Charlotte Bronte really stands up for just being deeper and richer and understanding that life is not always easy or perfect. Or she thinks about Jane Austen with roses and countryside blooms. And she said, her business is not so much half with the human heart as with the human eyes, mouth, hands, and feet. So she's basically saying, Jane Austen is stuck in the body work. She's not doing anything except for the five senses. And so she really wants to go to the heart. And she says, but what throbs fast and full, though hidden, what the blood rushes through, what is the unseen seed of life and the sentient target of death, this Miss Austen ignores. She no more with her mind's eye beholds the heart of her race than with each man with bodily vision sees the heart in this heaving breast. Jane Austen was a complete and sensible lady, but a very incomplete and rather insensible, not senseless woman. So she's rather brash. And there's so many hypotheticals as to why she's a little defensive against Jane Austen, because Jane Austen really did carry us a lot with her wit. So I'm not at all against her. You know, I love her as a seven. We really talked about this on IG last week where I was asking you guys, I got some fun answers in the DMs. But the truth I was really wanting to get to was, is do you like that fairy tale? Or are you more of a person who's says, yeah, I don't live the fairy tale. I need the woman who's going to be honest and real with me. And if I enjoy sex, that she's okay with that. Or if I don't, she's okay with me talking about it with a professional or somebody I care deeply about and trust, or especially talking it within the marriage. And you get the sense that Charlotte Bronte wants to go there, that she wants it to be deeper, more real, and that she's not afraid of what she might find there as much as she may find something she doesn't like. She inevitably, and I love this about the story, clings to God and there's horror and there's mystery. And it's just been such a fun thrill ride for me who I get in my, I do get in my sixth comfort here and I read Jane Austen again and again and again and again and again. And it's just a safe place for me, just like Babysitter's Club was when I was little, like I've told you about, but it's really important for me and for you guys to read books or listen to podcasts like this, where we challenge ourselves and say, you know, are we doing okay in this area? Can we be more honest about what's happening on the inside or underneath 
in this realm, especially for women today on this podcast, especially those who feel like I was raised in the church and it wasn't allowed to be talked about, or I'm a female and we're not allowed to say that we have sexual needs and desires. And yes, we can all say in media that's changed, but it really hasn't in a lot of bedrooms. I can tell you that because of my job. So I do want you to recognize that as much as I want you to, and and definitely Jane Eyre and Charlotte Bronte, those that's her book. I know that's confusing Jane Austen versus Jane Eyre, but Jane Eyre and Charlotte Bronte's book, she really did understand that when she was being mistreated and even I'll spoil it a tiny bit, asked for bigamy, she was able to say no, like I'd rather be true to myself and God versus do something that makes me feel gross. And her person was able to shift with her. So I really love that. And I love today's talk because of this kind of realness we're going to have today about sex. So listen up as we really talk about this and do understand that we're both coming from a place of we believe that sex is just for you and your spouse and we want to make it the best and most healing and sacred experience possible. And we also think it's really best experience when it is in that format. But we understand, especially me personally, how things don't always go exactly how you plan or even what you learn at church. And what do we do from there? Or what do we do when our spouse disagrees with us on how often we have sex? And what do we do when we disagree even with the fact of how we have sex? So we're trying to get to a lots of these realms today and we get specific on some. So I hope that you get your pencils out or listen with your spouse if you need an encouragement. I have Dr. Camden Morganti. Hi, Dr. Camden. Hi, Krista. As you guys know, Dr. Camden loves just talking about purity culture and Christianity, psychology, and making sure that she helps us to deconstruct the myths of purity culture and help us to have a healthier sexual ethic. And a lot of you asked me for this topic because you were feeling like in your bedrooms, just to get really down and personal quickly, you said it's really important that we have a safe place together. And because some of you feel like you don't have that safe place, you ask me, how do I get there? I'm curious because my husband and I disagree even about how we move and behave in the bedroom. So this episode is going to not only talk about that, but just give both males and females a safe place to even just talk about sex. So I think that's probably something that we're still lacking in even that first episode we did was helpful. I'm going to be talking about this again, even after today. So I'm really happy to have you here, Dr. Camden, to help us with this. Can you tell us a little bit about you and your family and your career with teaching and psychology? Yeah. So I am a licensed clinical psychologist and I'm working private practice um, doing therapy. I live in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I also am a professor of psychology. So right now teaching just online. Um, But yeah, so I teach undergraduate psychology classes. And then I'm married and have a toddler daughter. So she's almost two years old. So um, yeah, so balancing career, family, and then also my writing that I'm doing on purity culture and some of the speaking that I do mm-hmm. um, with my jobs. It's yeah, it's it's a lot to balance. So and we're definitely in the throes of that with both of us having careers and a family. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, but I love and I'm passionate about all the roles that I have. So it's important to me to to continue those. I'm so glad. Thank you for doing that. And I think because you have a daughter, I'm especially like, oh, she's so blessed to have a mama who can be her hero and talk about these things so that when she's older, she won't have shame around her sexuality. Is that one of your biggest hearts for kids and for developing teens who are thinking and learning about this? Of course. Yeah. Thinking about my daughter and how can she develop a healthy sexuality that's 
like still rooted in the Bible and is honoring of God, but doesn't carry the shame and fear and baggage that a lot of people in my generation had from purity culture. Mm. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. I'm so with you on that. And for those who need to even go back and to hear a little bit more about, wow, like why did my husband become this way? Or why did my father do this to me when he could have shared sexuality with me in a different and better way? Dr. Cameron just hit on such a great point that a lot of people didn't have that many options and didn't know what to do and how to move. So you can go back to episode nine about males in the Enneagram and learn some of the history of that. But I really just, I'm happy you're here. So don't move right now. Spend some time with us because Dr. Camden has so much to teach us. So let's start with that. Let's start about just the history. How did you learn? And you don't have to tell me everything, but how did you come to learn as a person about sexuality since you mentioned our generation wasn't necessarily as you know, we didn't know as much about the purity culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm in my thirties. So I grew up in purity culture heyday, like the late nineties and early two thousands. I was a teenager then. And I went to Christian college where that was very much a part of the belief system um, and the values that the college promoted. So like a lot of people, I started for me with reading I Kiss Dating Goodbye and other kind of <laughs> purity culture books, which I believe had some good intentions, um, but really unanticipated harm came from that. So I was very much a proponent of purity culture in my teen. I had a true love weights ring. Yeah. And signed a purity pledge to my future husband and just read a lot of Christian books about dating and sex and boundaries and purity. And then, so I was a huge proponent of it. And then as I grew older, I just began to see how a lot of the promises that purity culture gave me just turned out to be false promises, just turned out to be empty promises, like didn't deliver. Um, and so that's where the concept of the myths came about from where I started to identify like these myths that purity culture used in order to persuade young people to avoid sex, but it was really setting us up for disappointment, shame, and disillusionment. And so I spent a lot of my 20s kind of deconstructing that um, and became a psychologist, got my doctorate, and now in my 30s, I'm married and have a daughter, like I said. So, so now I see like the ramifications in marriage, in parenting, and also in my clinical work with women and with couples. Mm, so, wow, that is so fascinating how you shifted dramatically and and yet maintained your faith, which I think is so mm-hmm. healing and good. So what do you think was something that made you see this isn't working? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just saw that like while purity is, is definitely important, and I still do hold to a traditional sexual ethic of premarital abstinence and sexual faithfulness in marriage. So I do still believe in that. But I saw that the ways that it was communicated and taught had a lot of unintended harm and side effects. Mm. And so the, the one that affected me the most personally, I mean, there were several that affected me personally and then several that I just, that I saw the effects in my friends and clients. But for me personally, it was what I call the fairy tale myth that if you stay pure, if you, if you stay a virgin, if you don't date around, that God will bless you with a fairy tale marriage and a spouse and, you know, all of your fairy tale dreams will come true. <laughs> and so I totally believed that, totally thought that, you know, if I did X, Y, and Z, I was going to get a fairy tale. It turns faith into a transaction where mm-hmm. God is a fairy godmother who just, as long as we hold up our end of the bargain, he fulfills his. And that's not what our faith is. Our faith is based on grace, not works. And so when that promise did not come about for me, I was single uh, most of, almost all of my 20s. I didn't get married till I was 30. 
And that was very painful for me because I expected it much sooner. But yeah, so that's when I began deconstructing that myth and really identifying how it had affected me. And it really hurt my spirituality and my faith too. Oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. And if you don't mind my asking, since I know every listener is clued in now on how awesome you are, but they'd probably love (laughs) to know a little bit more about your psyche. What's your Enneagram type? I am a type six. Okay. Mm -hmm. So here you are dealing with what's going on here. I love and have loyalty as such a top concept. Mm -hmm. So you're going, I want my companion and it should have been here because I followed the rules. Yes. It was very much like these rules gave me security. Mm -hmm. Um, These rules provided us like a support and guidance system for me. And Mm -hmm. yet they didn't fulfill their end of the bargain. They didn't. um, The promise was not fulfilled for me when I thought it was going to be in the way that I thought it was going to be. Yeah. So that's a good example of how my Enneagram type played into this. Yeah, it sure is. And it's beautiful to see hope for people because I think we can get so stuck in our types like, oh, I can't because I'm a six or I could never do that because I'm a one. And you're just Mm -hmm. like, you know what? I've grown a lot. Like seeing me as a different version of six looked like Mm -hmm. me really trusting this book that I read or this thought that I had about culture at the time. And when I really realized that God had a bigger design for sex and that I didn't have to feel the shame, it really released you from that. That's beautiful. Right. Yeah. Ah, that's awesome. And I had a similar story in that I was at the church and so I heard in various settings how it was supposed to look. But when I entered my marriage, my husband and I both had sorted past, not completely where you're like, oh my gosh, Lady Chatterley's lover or something, but just in the sense of like, you know, having heard about sex at age four and really feeling just wounded, even though I wasn't sexually abused by the early years as a child, some people might say that is sexual abuse by just me seeing things and being Mm -hmm. exposed and awakened. So Mm -hmm. by the time I got to 13, 14, 15, 16, when I'm hearing especially be very virginal and, you know, you shouldn't have any impure thought, I'm like, oh, I've been watching all the Friday the 13th movies for years, you know, and Mm -hmm. I can't even negotiate that much less sexual experiences that I'd had by then. So I think Mm -hmm. that that was really important for people who have one of our stories where you've been either a little bit rigid and rule following or a little bit like skeptical of whether God really loves you because you've already been through the Mm -hmm. fire so much. It's really important to say, wow, let me take a step back and look at what was the church's intent. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't to hurt us, like Dr. Camden said, it was to give us some healthy boundaries. But when you don't have those or you haven't learned those or you've had some experience, it can really disillusion you. So I'm so thankful you're telling us what are some of those things that some of our listeners can look out for if they're coming from either of those two poles. Well, I think uh, one thing you brought up made me think of what I call the damaged goods myth. Um, mm. You know, the, the teaching or the belief that if you have sex, you're ruined, you're unworthy, you're dirty, you're unclean, you're damaged goods, and mm. and therefore you no longer have your purity or your value to offer to your future spouse. And that's extremely harmful to people who have had sexual sin in their past and also sexual trauma that was not their own doing. That was mm. that was not, you know, their choice or their that was done to them. Um, to make them feel like they're no longer worthy or they're no longer pure is is just so shameful. So for people who have that experience, that's what I would say is just is to really address the shame and how unhelpful and untrue those thoughts and those that belief system is that we are made pure through 
Jesus's sacrifice on the cross for us, regardless of the sins or the mistakes or what has been done to us in the past. Mm, Yes. And that was something that I dealt with even from a very little girl when I had my first sin that I remembered was because my dad yelled at me for something or I anticipated that he would. And I felt like I did wrong. And I said, Jesus, I'm never going to allow my daughter to do this. I was like four or five and I can vividly remember where I was standing. And I said, I've lost standing with you but she's going to be perfect. <laughs> and it was so Aww. funny. And there's my type four daughter born, like where me, I expected her to be perfect. And so I had to unlearn that years later on, you know, not being perfectionistic with her. And so I think that this can take us far. And that's why I'm not just talking about us when we were teens, because we've obviously learned a lot since then, but this can head right into your own marriage where you're really rule following in an abrasive way to your kids versus that grace build yes. So I'm so mm-hmm. happy you're bringing us to that reminder that it's because God loves us that we are worthy. It's not because of acts of anything, whether it's sexual or otherwise. But I love that you hold that integrity of you want people mm-hmm. to have a healthy sexuality. I believe in biblical sexual values, but we can have those without shame, without fear, without false promises in the ways that we teach our kids and in the ways we hold them ourselves personally. Yes. So I'm so glad that you're reminding people that whatever's happened to you right now, if you've had a difficult sexual past, if you've had one that you're ashamed of, you don't have to stay in that, but you also don't have to condemn yourself because God doesn't condemn you. And that's huge for you to realize. And then you can move on with a lot more integrity because I know that when you're feeling unhealthy, you're thinking, I'm not loved. I'm not worthy. Why should I? I know that because like you said, I love that you called that the damaged goods because that's exactly where I sat with that was, okay, I'm kind of done. Like it is what it is at this point. I guess I don't care about this part of myself. And I hear that from a lot of Enneagram nines actually who say, I'm so far removed from my body that it doesn't matter. And mine wasn't that dramatic. Mine was short lived, but sometimes it goes on for years like this. And then there's other seasons where you meet with your spouse, like we said, and they maybe treat your body in a way that you weren't expecting because of their pornography issues. And then you have to deal with another level. I've heard so many women talk about and men, because sometimes mm-hmm. it's not the male, it's the female that right. wants something that the other one isn't comfortable with. So, but first tell me a little bit more about any of the other myths that you think we get stopped with in our sexuality. Mm-hmm. Well, another one that I've identified is called the flipped switch myth. This is going to affect people in their marriage. So the idea that purity culture gave us that once you get married, um, sex is now went from off limits to, to good and pleasurable And that as soon as you get married, you flip a switch and sex is going to be instantly amazing and pleasurable and intimate Mm -hmm. and just wonderful. And so I got fed that promise so much. And then I saw friends of mine, you know, who got married before me who just were not able to flip that switch. They still felt like sex was sinful or shameful or dirty, or maybe they had so much sexual pain Mm -hmm. um, that sex really wasn't possible for months after they got married and just took a lot of work, a lot of patience, a lot of communication, maybe therapy or medical attention. So yeah. So the idea that just because you waited, your sex life is going to be amazing is a myth. It's untrue because sex takes work. No matter what our sexual past is, it takes a lot of communication and a lot of work together to have an intimate and connecting and just like 
you know, sacred experience and sex, it's just not instantaneous and automatic. So I think that harms a lot of married couples because they're wondering like, you know, why isn't sex easier? That was what was promised to me. Right. And I think that youth pastors are stepping on a lot of toes when they overly talk about it or don't talk about mm-hmm. it enough because they're dealing yes. with parents who are saying, hey, can you make sure you include this? And others saying, do not talk about this with my child. So I think that's really important. And I've even had that with my own teaching of teenagers where sometimes a parent will say, usually they don't say this, but once in a while they will say, you know, I can't believe you would think about teaching my child, Anne Frank, where she has a moment where she considers her body sexually. And Mm -hmm. it's really something that's happening amongst the teens anyway. So I think it's really important that if you're in that spot or when you get to that spot, if you have toddlers, I know a lot of our listeners have no kids yet or young kids that you remember that even a very small child, some of them will start early touching and feeling themselves at that age. So you have to be ready for that to hit later. And Dr. Camden reminds us that you don't want to be on either pole where when you get to your marriage bedroom, you're thinking, okay, this is dirty and I can't do it. Or this is lewd and pornographic and I have to act like a pole dancer in order to be enjoyable to my spouse. Right. Yeah. And I I wrote an article linked on my website called Five Tips um, for Raising Kids with Shame-Free Sexuality, where I talk about how we don't need to shame their bodies. We want to use proper names for body parts, including genitals. We don't want to shame them if they touch their genitals, that that's completely normal Mm -hmm. in infancy or in toddlerhood. That doesn't have to be, you know, there's nothing sexually like dirty or explicit about it. It's just them exploring their bodies, just like they touch other parts of their bodies, their eyes and their ears, and just they're exploring Mm -hmm. and they're, they're figuring things out. So we want to be really careful what language we use with our kids, um, how we talk about, their bodies and then later talk about sex and intimacy as they get older. Mm. Oh, I love that. You guys will give her links, everything like that at the end, because that is a phenomenal article for you guys to read. Cause I can tell you kids have it, even if you have been, I mean, I took a great sex therapy course and knew all this. And it's so funny because we actually found out we took the same professor, right? Dr. Camden. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we had the same professor in grad school for our sex therapy class. I love that. That is just such a fun fact. So you know what I'm talking about. We had all the training. I did things well. And then I still found out when my kids came along, somebody else somewhere down the line had shamed them. So Mm -hmm. it's so important that you think, oh, I never did that. But for you to be an open space and to say to your kids sometimes, it's okay for you to talk to me and it's okay for you to have curiosity about your body. That's totally normal. And I think it's great that you guys continue to be open about this as well as let them know what's not healthy about doing things with other kids and, you know, not in a shaming way, but just telling them how important it is to explore what they want to, because this is the body God gave them and designed for purposes. And some of those purposes will come along later, but they're just curious, like Dr. Camden said. So I'm glad that at least that helps people once they get to the marriage bedroom to know some of the mechanics, how do things work, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the other unfortunate ramifications of purity culture is a lack of sex education in the church. Because abstinence only is emphasized so much, teenagers and even young adults just aren't getting the sexual education they need. Women don't know, especially women, don't know how their bodies work and how to experience sexual pleasure. So therefore, they can't communicate that with their husbands and their husbands don't know either. 
And just, there's not a lot of knowledge about like how to enhance pleasure or what to do if we have sexual problems in marriage. So I just feel like Christian couples, we do them a disservice. We do Christian teens and young adults a disservice when we don't provide them with a holistic sexual education that we can still emphasize biblical values. We can still emphasize God's design for sex, but we can also give them knowledge and education about their anatomy, about sexuality, mechanics in marriage, um, problems in marriage, and birth control, all those kinds of things that are going to be relevant. Mm, Oh my gosh, absolutely. And to understand that they're going to develop their own sexual ethic within their marriage. So as we're launching them to say, you might agree or disagree on some of the same things I've taught you. And I hope you'll really look to God to help you through things along the way so that you can keep your own moral compass. But Mm -hmm. here's what I've learned and discovered on the journey. And sometimes it's going to be that you're talking with kids about this or people you're mentoring or even your spouse. Here's what I know. Here's what you know in premarital work. And I do hope you do some premarital work if you're in the dating years. But I think it's really important also that you say, There's room for movement here because God gave you your unique likes and dislikes and you and your husband, you and your wife might enjoy things, like I said, differently, but also take those conversations lightly with your kids because they're not going to want to have them all the time. But if you present them in a way that is attractive and safe, they'll be listening even if after a minute or two they say, oh, dad, oh, mom, but they're listening, they're leaning in and they need the information desperately. And the good news is a lot of them will come if you're a safe couple, a lot of them will come to you after they get married. And that's awesome too, because they might not feel comfortable to talk about it before and say that's gross. But now that they're married, (laughs) you can continue that conversation. You don't have to stop it as long as it's honorable. You can say, do you guys have any questions? Because this is also new to you. And you'll find sometimes they really do. And they're like Dr. Camden said, like, hey, we're having trouble. One of us is having trouble performing or one of us is in a lot of pain or we're dealing with infertility and you can give your wise counsel over them. You don't have to be a specialist to be able to be kind and loving and not shaming in this area, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely parents are going to be the biggest influences on their kids' development of sexual ethics and sexual morals and just their sex education. You might think, well, the school's going to take care of that, or the church, the youth group's going to take care of that, or I can hand them this book and they'll read it. But really, we know parents are going to be the biggest influence on that. So it starts young with developing like a safe and trusting environment where they feel safe to come to you, like you said. And that way when they're older, when they're teens or when, like you said, when they're married and having problems, they still feel safe to come to you. Mm. Oh, I love that reminder. Yes. And that is something that I wish I would have had. I think that my parents were very healthy sexually themselves from what I can gather most of the time. But I think that I felt such an age gap that I was like, I do not want to talk about this with them. So it would have been helpful to talk to other adults. So make sure, Mm -hmm. you know, talk to your safe friends and your counsel and be that for your kids young. I love that Dr. Camden said, do this young because my son as young as six or seven was being confronted with say typing.com pictures of things or at a friend's house on their while they're watching YouTube videos. It just does. It pops up everywhere. So Mm -hmm. you have to be ready for the conversations young. And here's one more amazing reminder to you is because the shame is so thickly laden, even like I said, when we've gone through sex therapy courses and know what to do, you have to understand that your child may not tell you if you have a closed stance. 
Mm-hmm. So do you think you could tell us a little bit about how you might recommend for different Enneagram stances, whether they're more closed or aggressive, or and usually we say closed would be withdrawing, but um, compliance stance varied on the Enneagram for how they might approach a sexual ethic. When you guys think of threes, sevens, and eights, you probably think of people who are a little more assertive and bold. And last time on the sex therapy episode that we had under the big three of communication, you can go back to that if you didn't catch it. I want you to know that I was really reminding people, make sure you're kind, make sure you're not leading in a way that is abrasive, but request sex from your spouse. Don't demand it. But I also think as you're talking about your sexual ethic, even the very conversation can come off aggressively. So if you're a three or a seven and eight, Dr. Camden, do you have any tips for those people when they're thinking about purity culture or all of this? Mm -hmm. I like what you said about not approaching it aggressively or demanding. Sex, yeah, should never be demanding. It should always be about giving. It should always be about giving and receiving and mutual pleasure and, um, and connection. So, yeah, so avoiding, like, aggressive demands, avoiding, like, trying to get your spouse, trying to manipulate your spouse or, or get them to <laughs> give in to what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, but m- a much more softer stance, I would recommend much more open to hearing your spouse and their needs and their preferences rather than just aggressively presenting your own. Mm, yes. I think that's really neat for me to hear that because people are always saying, but that's my love language. And it's like, I realize that, but what's important is that you're honoring to your spouse. If they've had a difficult day that you're mm-hmm. not pushing because that's going to lead back to that feeling of inadequacy or shame or some of these myths that Dr. Camden's talking about. And it can hit an old trigger. And you might say, why did you close off? I was just asking for sex. And they may say, I just felt like I was no good because you made me feel shame. And sometimes you just have to work on being less abrasive and sometimes they have to do their work and realize that's not your intent, but you can be sweeter about it and find out their very particulars. I met with couples just this week saying it's got to be particular because some of us love it when our spouses tease and tickle and others hate it. So Mm -hmm. do not look to the left or right. Do not think about a pornographic image you saw that showed it in this way. And we all know that was paid anyway. So that's a totally different topic and podcast. But I think it's important that you remember if you're aggressively wired to back off and to not back off to the point of I'm going to do all my own sexual pleasuring to myself without my spouse, but to the point of realizing let the pursuer distancer cycle rest Mm -hmm. on them sometimes. Let them pursue me or let me pursue in a softer way. A Mm -hmm. word we used yesterday um, in my work with a couple was gentle. That was a very good trigger word that they both needed. So the compliance stance would be the group of people who might be more likely to judge. And that would be the ones, twos, and sixes to say we should have sex this amount of time. And kind of like you talked, Dr. Camden, about in the past that there was such a should attached or I should like it right away. So those people would tend to be more compliant with what they think society thinks they should do or what their spouse thinks they should do. Do you have any thoughts for that group? Yeah. So as a six, I'm in this group. Um, definitely, definitely resonate with what you said about wanting to follow the rules. Um, and then with, you said judging, like, I think, I think we can have our rules and our standards and we can judge other people against those standards. So, or judge ourselves. So if you have this like rule or this idea, like we should be having sex X amount of times a week, Mm -hmm. or like I should be meeting my husband's sexual needs and doing my wifely duties, which I, 
I don't believe it. I don't, uh, I don't mm-hmm. agree with that statement. Mm-hmm. So just being non-judgmental towards ourselves and figuring out what works for you as a couple, rather than comparing yourself to a standard that you feel like you have to meet or what you feel like other people are doing or the rules and belief system that you came up with. So yeah, so I would say non-judgment and being open to what works for you as a couple. Yeah, you've said a lot there. And I think that what you guys think works as a couple is the key phrase I have there versus, like you said, societal standards. And also, maybe you can touch a little bit more on how you think we come together in a sexual ethic for our marriages when one of us wants sex a little bit more and the other one doesn't. Do you have any thoughts Mm -hmm. about that? Yeah. I mean, that's extremely common. You know, if you you are a couples therapist too, Krista, so you've, Mm -hmm. you've seen that. And Mm -hmm. actually in my work as a couples therapist, I've seen more, just as many couples where the wife has a higher sex drive as I have, Mm -hmm. you know, the opposite pattern. So it's not always about um, the man needing more sex or demanding sex. It can, it can be the opposite way too. So I think that's something that a couple really has to approach prayerfully and thinking about what your sexual values in marriage are. Like is sex used you know, to get my needs met, to bring me pleasure, to fulfill me? Or is it about giving and receiving love mutually? Is it about connecting us? Is it about expressing our covenant that we've made to each other and with God and using the gift that God's given us in sex to enhance our intimacy and our connection? So really making it a celebration rather than an obligation. I think that will help with a mindset shift if it comes back to what are your values and beliefs about the gift of sex? And then I would also say there does sometimes have to be this level of compromise in marriage that every time you have sex, you're not going to be a 10 on a scale of one to 10 of how, mm-hmm. you know, turned on you are or how, mm-hmm. how much, how much you desire sex. And that goes for both partners. You know, you're not always going to be at this, a 10 at a, this high level of sexual desire, but you can still choose to respond to your spouse. And so I know in like in sex therapy class, we learn the difference between responsive desire and initiating desire. Mm-hmm. Um, that initiating sexual desire is when is the person who who initiates it, who has enough a high level of of sexual desire enough that they're going to seek it out. But responsive desire is that desire that maybe wasn't there initially, maybe it wasn't super high initially, and we didn't seek it out. But yet once our spouse invites us and kind of offers that to us, we can respond, we can, you know, we can choose to, um, to give and to be to be, I guess, into it, you know, to, to be responsive mm-hmm. to our spouse. So yeah, so those are my, those are my thoughts about when there's a mismatch of sexual desire. Wow, that is awesome. You really touched on a lot of topics I don't think a lot of people have heard about. So thank you because that happens all the time. And I love how you said sometimes for you, it's the female. And that happens for me a lot as well. I have to say in my work, it's still the male a little bit more, but I definitely have a lot of cases where it is not. So I'm really happy you said if that's you out there who's a female and you want sex more, totally normal. And I know that right when you're in that fertility time of just after your cycle, you're really more responsive even. And a lot of women feel shame to say that like, honey, I want you. And a lot of husbands or wives may say, well, the other one keeps saying no. So what we're saying to you guys is maybe the same old route you're taking isn't working. And so please try something else because your spouse may very well feel like 
oh, you're just making me do this because it's my wifely obligation and they're coming and this is so common they're coming at you from a place of resent so when you can get back to honey what do you like let's talk about this i happen to be the one who's more initiating what makes you feel like this is more of a gift to you and this is our celebration i adore that you said it that way dr camden because mm-hmm. That is so true. This is where we really want you guys to head is not feeling like it's something that you're forced into ever, but that you are a person who enters into marriage as a covenant where you're still a person where you say, I love you and today is not a good day for me and your spouse respects that. But hopefully on other days, even if you're not the initiative partner that you can say, I really love you and I see how this changes you and shifts you and that release gives you such pleasure even if I'm not feeling it, I want that for you. So we really hope that you'll really try to honor and give a gift if you can, but when you can't, that you don't feel like culture tells you you have to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It should never be forced or coerced. It should never be manipulative. It should never be without consent. So we definitely want to make that clear, but there are times where you choose to do it to have sex or to be intimate more for your spouse's pleasure or more for what it does for your marriage, not even just like what you're doing for your spouse and the focus and emphasis on them, but how it brings you two to closer together, how it makes you feel more bonded and connected and how it's just an expression of the covenant you've made. Um, Yeah. So we can reframe it in our minds in that way. Mm, yeah, I think that's a beautiful way to to think about it. And in, in the last episode, I even talked about there are some health benefits on those days where you think I want to give, but I don't enjoy it as much. And I've had people tell me I've never experienced an orgasm and maybe they're not here to work with me on that where they're like, I don't want to do sex therapy. We're here to talk about this or that or I'm separated. But there's a sense of people who are out there, they are out there who are like, I don't know what sexual pleasure feels like. So we're not saying you have to remain abstinent in your marriage, but we are saying, think about it thoughtfully, creatively. Don't be afraid to work on that particular issue with somebody because that could be a health benefit and a blessing in your marriage. But we don't want to shame you if just you're not into it. Generally speaking, you're not into it, but you're giving that as a gift. And like you said, Dr. Camden, it's just part of your marriage blessing, you feel better after it for some reason or another, it shifts the family in the healthy direction. So, mm-hmm. so many reasons that people partake and enjoy not just procreation, but just the marriage gift of releasing stress together. So the withdrawing stance is the last group that I wanted to cover here because you guys are people who might say, I don't need it, or I'm somebody who really doesn't feel comfortable to talk about it, and I don't like to say anything, and maybe my spouse is asking me to do things I'm uncomfortable with. So what would you say to this group, Dr. Camden? Um, my husband is a nine, so he's in this withdrawing stance. So Thank I'm, you. I'm, yes, fours, fives, and nines there. Go ahead. Yeah, so I'm familiar with um, with the nine and the withdrawing stance. Um, I would say don't be afraid to bring it up. Don't be afraid to initiate sex sometimes. Instead of withdrawing from your spouse when things get tough or when there's a mismatch between um, you and your spouse with sexual needs or, um, or pleasure, um, is approach instead of avoid. Um, look at this as, you know, this conversation is tough and I know, you know, there's a tendency to withdraw and avoid conflict in this, um, in this stance, but yet it's, going to pay off in how much closer it can bring us if we have this conversation and if we work on this together. So approach, don't withdraw or avoid. Mm, Yeah, that's really important and you're worth it. You Mm -hmm. deserve to have a voice. And even if you feel like I don't want to 
make them sad. I can feel what they're feeling and I'm merging with them and I know they don't want this. Understand that you might be in the body triad as a nine to use that example. And maybe that bodily release means more to you than you'd like to even admit. And so it's important for you to ask yourself, if I do want this and I really think it blesses me, how can I speak up and think about it in ways of maybe I text it or email or send a funny meme, but do mm-hmm. understand that sometimes your spouse might not catch it if it's too subtle. So I like how you're really reminding them to assert, to really be bolder here because that's an important piece of stonewalling is one of those things in marriage I've talked about before that when you avoid altogether, that's probably the worst thing you can do in your marriage. So as much right. as the uh, avoidance stance can bless us in so many ways. You withdrawlers really need to make sure you're heard and seen that you don't go into fantasy or that you don't feel, like I said, from when I was really young, almost writing yourself off, like what does it matter anyway because I'm not really worth that much. So reminding yourself, God loves you. There's tons of gifts you can use in the world. You have Mm -hmm. such an incredible personality that we want to see and we want you to have self-respect. So if you're doing things that you don't respect yourself with and you're crying after sex and you're feeling like Mm -hmm. I'm trying to please my spouse because they have these 50 shades of gray desires and in the moment it feels good, I want you to remember this is not what you were designed to do. And it's so important that you understand, I'm not judging any particular acts. I didn't even want to go into particulars just in the sense that we all have a different flavor in sex. But if there's things that are punitive for you and belittling to you, that's not healthy. So don't feel bad about withdrawing from that. And don't feel bad about feeling like this is something I need to speak up about because right now culture is kind of shaky on this. We're, we're hearing it on one level, but we're seeing women dressed up, like I said, riding poles on the other hand saying this is awesome and we're really healthy modern females. I want to say don't underestimate the, the healing that can come from seeking professional help for, for any of these issues too because um, sex therapy or even individual therapy with someone who is trained, professional, and competent to help you pick apart like your shame. Like, mm-hmm. where's the shame coming from? Like, am I doing things that make me feel belittled and um, demean me and I'm uncomfortable with? That needs to stop. Like, no one should be forced or coerced, like I said earlier. But when are you feeling shame because of what the church has told you? Like, unhealthy purity culture. Um, beliefs that sex is dirty and wrong. So Mm -hmm. a professional can help you walk through that and help to discern what's shame and and where's that coming from. And then other types of professional help that I would recommend is definitely for women seeing a gynecologist if there are um, physical problems, if there's in sexual pain, seeing a pelvic floor physical therapist Mm -hmm. can be extremely helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, So don't hesitate to get professional help. Sometimes talking to a pastor or pastoral counselor at your church can be helpful depending on what the issue is and what kind of help you're needing. So you don't have to suffer alone or you don't have to just put up with um, with an unfulfilling sex life. There's always help and, and hope for healing. Mm, That is so well said. And it's really an important one because like I said, we don't have time to navigate the murky waters together just in the very sense of you're all on a different sexual spectrum here. I'm not going to judge you, but I do want you to be able to sift through and say, 
ooh, this felt icky or this feels really good. And so if it's that you're both feeling really good, that's a great place to be. But if one of you or both of you aren't, sex resources are out there. Like she said, at your gynecologist, you might need trauma work or EMDR where you say, I've had clients do that where they're working with me on their marriage and then they're working with uh, an EMDR therapist who's saying, I'm helping them process the issue of shame that they initiated in childhood. And now they're actually not asking for the same things in the bedroom or they're understanding their spouse's needs a bit better because they're processing their own shame. And the same with pornography where you might say, I'm so dulled because I've done so much pornography and I've had a lot of clients say that. And so now that's another good place to receive help and to say there are tons of people in your shoes. You don't have to feel like you're alone there, but to get help is important because you do want to be able to have a healthy sexuality together and there is hope for you. So that should comfort you to know that two of us who have really done a lot of work in this area have seen so much improvement with people that we have worked with. I would also recommend the book, A Celebration of Sex by Doug Rosenall. Mm. That is the textbook I use. I teach psychology of human sexuality and that's the class textbook I use, but it's also a book that I've used in my couples therapy work, recommended to couples or individuals and read it, you know, before I got married too, as my, um, for my personal knowledge and, um, and reading. So that is my favorite resource for Christian couples. And then as we were talking about visiting professionals, getting medical help, therapy, also wanted to mention just your own general practitioner or primary care doctor um, for men's sexual problems too, like erectile dysfunction, um, that you can get help for that too. It's not something, you, again, that you have to suffer alone in mm. or put up with. Mm-hmm. That's really important and really common. So I know my husband has a lot of patience with that and it's so easily tweaked that it's almost ridiculous that people wait so long, but I understand that they're dealing with their own shame stories of that's not okay or locker room talk. So they have to do their work to get past that. And you can be a gentling influence if you're the spouse of a person who says, no, it's, it's painful or I can't because I just don't have an easy time to have sex. So that's painful that there are so many different meds now that are coming out every day for helping in this area. So Doctors are very used to it. I just want to let you know that. And I love that you brought up the Rosanaz book because I mm -hmm. have recommended that over time as well. And it's excellent to know there are Christians who this is their number one mission. And thank you, Dr. Camden, for teaching this course and making the work more well-known. These are invaluable lessons you're teaching people. Well, thank you. And rarely talked about in the church or on podcasts. So yay, Christian yeah. podcast history here in the making, guys, of just I'm being able to share that. Yeah, I'm glad you're opening up this conversation too and helping to destigmatize like sexual problems and sexual shame and that it's something that people can have healing from. Yes, me too. I am too. And let's talk about where people can get in touch with you and your work so that they can continue to learn from you. My website is drcamden.com and doctor is the abbreviation DR and I'm under that same name on Instagram or Facebook, DR Camden. Um, on my website, I have an article called the five purity culture myths. So that was my, the first article I wrote about this and, and it's the number one most viewed page on my website. And from that, I developed a free quiz you can take, which purity mm -hmm. culture myth affects you. So it will um, take you through those five myths and, and see which of those has affected you the most. So that's something that I would recommend if people want to get started on this journey of deconstructing the myths and healing from, from sexual shame. 
Mm, oh my goodness. They're going to be so excited to take this quiz. And I know I am. And I am so grateful for you sharing your wisdom and knowledge with us and just taking it a step farther and helping all these kids that are developing to hear how they can enter marriage with a healthy sexuality. You're yeah. amazing. And you being a female just blesses me so much because I know we did have a male teacher and he was amazing and gentle, but just to hear that there's a female sharing this information makes me feel awesome. Oh, well, good. Thank you for having me, Krista. I enjoyed talking with you. You too. I'll talk to you guys later. Thank you so much, Dr. Camden. Thank you. Bye. So that was amazing. And once again, the book that Dr. Camden recommends is called A Celebration of Sex by Doug Rosena, R-O-S-E-N-A-U. And I hope you'll join me on Instagram because I'm going to be sharing something I shared last year was in my newsletter, a whole list of resources for people dealing with sexual issues in their marriage. I'll be sharing that on my stories this week. And I also want to make sure that you know that you are doing a great job just by listening and doing all these things to make your marriage better. We're so proud of you. And I'm really grateful that you're tuning in. Make sure you leave a review at Apple Podcast if you like this podcast or share it on your stories on IG, Enneagram and Marriage, or you can sign up at reflectionscc.com. But make sure you go for sure to get that quiz from Dr. Camden because I'm so thankful for her work. It's so needed in the church and in our world so that you have an understanding of how you can move the most healthy in the sexual arena and you can visit her and her quiz is right on the front. Which purity culture myth affects you at drcamden.com. So yay, guys, it was a great time and I hope you have a great week. I hope we have some awesome conversations about sex this week on the Instagram account that will help you and your spouse to have an amazing life together. Bye-bye.